Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. If you like titles, I've given a title to my message tonight. Well, what did you expect? And this is kind of like a, a, a platform from which to launch into this series. By the way, for this series, I was reading a, a book and <clears throat> I just want to reference it. It's a book by a guy called Tim Keller, who is one of my favorite uh, authors. And he's just a really intelligent guy and was a philosophy professor for a long time and, and uh, is pastoring a church in New York City. And, uh, and he's fantastic. And we had some of these books and I gave one away this morning, but I just went to check our resources area and we'd sold out. And so we'll get some more of these books and you're welcome to read that. And some of the uh, information that I'm going to share with you guys tonight actually comes straight uh, out of this book. And, uh, you know, there's some of the statistics, by the way, are, are actually um, American statistics. And I just want to flag that. And, and frustratingly, uh, they do so much more research on their own country than what we do in Australia. And the thing is, this is what I've discovered. You know, when I read the Bible and I read about people and the issues that they were facing 2,000 years ago, I realize that they're still the same issues that we face today. And I think that when I look at America and I look at Australia, we face a lot of the same issues in contemporary society. And so I just want to, to, to flag that with you guys. But really today, um, if you're here, and it really doesn't matter if you are married, if you are single, if you are engaged, if you are divorced, what we are going to talk about over the next three weeks is going to be important to you because it deals with relationships. It deals with expectation. And even if you are not married, one day you might decide that that's something you'd like to do. And I said this in, in some of the social media stuff earlier this week. It, why would we wait to teach young people, in fact, all people, about what to expect in a marriage? That's like getting the job before you have a qualification. It's like getting the job before you get the degree. And I think it would be so much wiser to take people on the journey and say, hey, by the way, this is the biblical definition of marriage. This is what you're looking at. This is what you should sort of come to expect. And one of the things that's really interesting to me is that the Bible begins with a wedding. You know, in creation, God creates Adam and Eve. And in the first couple of chapters right there, you see a wedding. And in the very last chapter of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, there is a wedding. It says, the, the spirit and the bride say to Jesus, come. And it's talking about a wedding. It's talking about the church and, and Jesus' relationship with the church. And so you've got a wedding at either end of the Bible and in the middle, all this really important information that relates to weddings. And so I think that talking about wedding is really important. You know, as funny, as, as ridiculous as that video is that we watched, the truth is, is that everyone's looking for something. People are looking for genuine connection. They're looking for relationship. And they're looking for a way in which to meet the person that they care about. And uh, I think that what we should do is just take that time to talk about what our expectations of both marriage and a marriage partner should be. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get stuck straight into it. God, we thank you so much for tonight. I thank you, God, for each of the people that are here tonight. 
And God, whatever situation we find ourselves in, whatever the state of our marriage could be, whatever the state, maybe we're here and we're single or maybe we're engaged, but God, wherever we are, I pray that tonight we would just lean into you, that we'd lean into your spirit, that we'd listen to what it is that you want to say on this most important topic. And I pray it gives us the wisdom and the insight to move forwards in our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. So I grew up in a house where my parents were married. I'm the oldest of my uh, other two brothers. So three of us. And uh, I grew up where my parents were married before they had me. And I say that because that's not always the case, but my parents were married before they had me. And I grew up in a house that was uh, loving and it wasn't, and you know, my parents' marriage uh, wasn't perfect, you know, by a, a long shot. But I got to see the way that they would treat each other. I got to see the way that they would interact and talk to each other. And boy, my mom was so lucky to meet my dad because my dad is always right. And my mom knew that. So we never had to, they never even needed to argue. They, dad was just right, you know, it's kind of the way that it was. And, you know, as, as they started to, to, to grow and mature, we discovered it wasn't always the case. But these little things that I would see and these little things that I would notice became my frame of reference for how a marriage should look. And today, I feel deep concern for so many young people that are growing up without that frame of reference, that are growing up that have been exposed to all kinds of scenarios and examples where things just don't work properly. By far and large, the perception and expectations of marriage has changed dramatically. In fact, did you know that divorce has increased two times since the 1960s? The rate of divorce has increased two times since the 1960s. And I don't know why that would be. It may be the fact that culturally, that it just wasn't accepted to get a divorce back then, so people were more likely to maybe be unhappy but stay together. And so maybe we just don't have a genuine perspective of how those marriages were going beneath the surface. But we can say that now people are a lot more likely to get divorced. By the way, if you're here tonight and you are divorced, or maybe you had parents that are divorced, let me go ahead and say this. In this church, we're not here to judge anybody for anything that they've gone through. The truth is, is that as, as a pastor, as, as, a, as a person that just cares about people generally, my hope would be that we could help. And I don't know everyone's circumstance and I don't know everyone's situation. And maybe there are very valid reasons why your parents got divorced. And maybe there are very valid reasons why you yourself might be sitting here uh, tonight and you are divorced. Maybe there's valid reasons for that. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Our God is the God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. In fact, He just keeps giving people chances. He keeps forgiving them. And if you're here tonight and, and this is your story or, or you've been exposed to this, I want you to know that I believe that God is a God of restoration. My prayer would be that God could restore all things. And maybe that's impossible. 
But if it's at all possible, I think that that's kind of the route that we want to go to. And I'll say this as well. Over the next three weeks, my expectation is that you are going to be challenged. And I want you to know that if you're sitting here tonight and you are profoundly challenged by anything that I have to say, I'm totally cool with that. I'm actually really good with it. I want you to be challenged. In fact, if you come to church and the guy doesn't get up there and, and, and challenge you, maybe they're not doing the right job. So I'm totally okay with you feeling challenged. But at the same time, if it's possible to help, that's what we want to do. So just a little asterisk. Keep going. Uh, in 1970, 89% of all births were to parents that were married. That figure today is at about 60% which means that nearly half the children that are being born today are being born to parents that aren't married. And I say that because that becomes their frame of reference. And so there, we have a generation of people that are grow, growing up and looking at what they see reflected in their parents, and that's the thing that they're paying attention to. Have you ever noticed that, you know, that will become their norm? You know, like in, in families, sometimes you have this weird internal culture and you don't realize it's weird until you get out and meet other people. And it's like, oh, hey, it's real weird, right? Well, you know, I, I feel like we normalize what happens in our family. And so pe- what are people going to do? Well, they're going to normalize how their parents treat each other. They're going to normalize, uh, uh, you know, uh, the way that they do relationships. And, and, and I'm suggesting that it's not always the best example as a frame of reference for how we should do relationship. You know, people are getting married less these days. In the 1960s, people, 72% of people were getting married. 72%. And today, it's more like 50%, which means half our population, half of the people are not, half the people are not getting married. And I think, wow, that is... To me, I find that absolutely staggering. And I remember when I was growing up, I didn't, I didn't grow up with Christian friends. I had a lot of friends at school and we would talk about, you know, just relationships. And I remember sitting around talking with my friends and they would say things like, well, we're never getting married. And, and, and I'm never getting married. And, you know, I thought that that seemed reasonable to me. I mean, the institution of marriage, why would you bother? I mean, it seems so risky and, 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 and there's just a lot of commitment there. And I don't know if I feel ready for that. And so here's a bunch of single guys saying, yeah, we might not ever get married. Probably wasn't at the time. I don't know. We didn't really think too deeply uh, about it. But I think the reason was is that we looked at marriage and we thought, man, this thing is just so restrictive. In fact, we held all kinds of beliefs. And you know that today, I think the commonly held belief, and this comes from research that we looked at, was that there is such a low chance of having your marriage be successful. This is what single people are saying, okay? This is what people that are not married, they say there's such a low chance of marriage being successful. So instead of actually getting married, they say, well, let's settle for something that's in the middle that carries less risk. And we call that cohabitation. In this country, we call that a de facto relationship. And it basically on the outside, it looks like the two people are married, only they're not. They haven't got, gone through the wedding. They haven't gone through the process. And so the National Marriage Project, which was a research project that was commissioned years ago, actually discovered this to be true about couples that were cohabitating together. So this was 
This information was largely taken from, from men, and this is what the men would say. They said, the cohabitation gives people regular access to the domestic and sexual ministrations of a girlfriend while allowing them to lead a more independent life and continue to look for a better partner because they don't have to commit. And they can do something that looks like marriage and it kind of feels like marriage, only it's, it's not getting married at all. And I thought about this and I said, why are people making these decisions today? And largely it's because they are misinformed when it comes to the topic of marriage. And because of that, you know what people are saying today? And maybe not in church, maybe this is not your perspective, and I'm not projecting onto anybody tonight. I don't know what your thoughts are around this. But by far and wide, I think in the world today, people are saying it's so much safer to just try before you buy. It's so much safer to just test out the relationship first to see if it works. Because after all, if you can't make it work in a de facto relationship, while you're cohabitating, why risk getting married? Why go through the process of inviting your friends and your family and, and all the rest of it and, and you go through that whole marriage process just to find out that it doesn't really work? And I think the reason why people held this belief is because they think that marriage, and this is what I'm saying to you right now, this is not me just pulling stuff out of the air. This is from statistical research. People believe that marriage is going to end in divorce or unhappiness. So why get married? If that is the pathway, that's where you're going to end up in sort of divorce or unhappiness, why get married? But can I tell you something that is really interesting? Is that there is a particular group of people within the group of people that get divorced, there is a concentrated group. Statistically, the group of people that are most likely to get divorced, I'm going to tell you what they are. They are people that come together where one of them is under the age of 18 and the reason they decided to get married was because they fell pregnant and had a baby and then tried to take responsibility for it by getting married and then a couple years later they find out it doesn't work. That group statistically is the group that is most likely to get divorced. So why is that important? All right, well, if you are over the age of 18, if you are a stable person, if you hold down a job and you have been in a relationship and you are not pushed into that relationship, you have every chance of having a successful marriage, whether you are a Christian person or not. I don't think people say that. I don't think that's the conversation that people are having. The conversation people are having is they're saying, don't risk it. If you get married, what if you discover on the other side of getting married to that person that you made a bad choice? That person is the person that you shouldn't have married. What if you've made a mistake? You know, why risk this? What about if you get married and then you discovered later that really you're not sexually compatible? Isn't that better off to figure that out first and, and, and make sure that sexually you're compatible first? And by the way, weddings are so expensive. 
Why go through all of that and spend all that money just to get a certificate or a piece of paper? We have a culture that is obsessed with looking at the cost of getting married, but they are not looking at the benefits of getting married. They are, all of those points have one thing in common. They're all looking at the cost of getting married. But in fact, can I tell you this? In 1992, they did a study. And if you think about the cost of getting married, how much is it going to cost you? What's it going to cost you relationally? What's it going to cost you financially? In fact, people say, you know, to get married, it just costs so much money. Well, here's something that's going to blow your mind. This research that they revealed in 1992 discovered that couples that were married at the at when they retired were 75% more wealthy than their single counterparts. So even though it costs you more money up front to get married, if you stay married, it is your best chance at financially succeeding. But that's not the conversation that people are having. That's not what people are talking about. No one's talking about that. There are, we, we live in a culture that is obsessed with happiness. I think that has crept into the church. You know, people actually believe that God's number one goal for them is for them to be happy. Oh, that's another sermon. I'm not even going to touch that. But I'll tell you something right now. His primary objective for you is not happiness, but our prim primary objectives for ourselves is happiness. And so they say, get happy at any cost. If your marriage is an unhappy one, get divorced. Here's the problem with that. They've oversold divorce. The individualist mentality has oversold divorce. I'll prove it to you. Two-thirds of unhappy married couples, if they stay together, become happy. Two-thirds. So if a couple is unhappily married, but they stay together and they work through their issues, they are more likely to end up happy than unhappy. And that sounds impressive, but listen to this. Married people have been discovered to be happier than single, divorced, and cohabitating couples. You are more likely to be happy if you are married. Children in happy marriages have two to three times more happy life outcomes. So here is the point. Let this, let this blow you away tonight. If you get married... You're more likely to be happy and wealthy. And we have a culture that thinks the opposite of what I just told you. We have a culture that believes the opposite of this statistical information. And I look at this and I think, how did we get so lost? When did this happen? When did we ignore the facts and culture just took over and made us start to believe things that aren't true? And I think we need to take the time to address this. Do you know why? Because the future of our children hangs in the balance. Okay, I don't want to like, I don't want to step over the line here, but I think the future of the planet hangs in the balance here. Because how we do relationships how, how the example that parents set for their kids will become their frame of reference. And trust me, it's going to have a huge impact on the world. So I think, how do we get there? What's the biggest influence? You ready for this? The biggest 
factor and influence that's changed our view of marriage is this, how individuals have sought meaningful existence because it has changed. How we have sought meaningful existence has changed. And this is unbelievably important to each one of you tonight because you have grown up in a world that has been dominated and saturated by this thinking. However it's changed, you've been born into it. So just like it's weird, that weird internal family culture, those idiosyncrasies, you've been born into a culture that has the exact same thing, but on a much larger scale. And guess what? Even the most mature age people in the room tonight have parents that were born into the same world because this happened centuries ago. How we have viewed our meaning and existence. See, contrary to what you may have believed or contrary to what you may have heard or thought, our culture today, it does not have a commitment phobia. That's what people think. Oh, the reason people don't want to get married today is because they have commitment phobia. No, they don't. We are very committed to ourselves. I mean, it's not like we don't understand the term commitment. It's not like we don't get it. It's like we know what commitment means. And we're very committed. We're very committed to ourselves. And I think that this is one of the biggest problems for marriage because did you know that marriage is about a commitment completely to somebody else. And I think this is where the problem starts to occur. You know, the Bible, it describes a marriage relationship and what it's supposed to look like. And I'm just going to read this scripture to you. It comes out of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 28. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And hello, men. Isn't that awesome? Come on. Who's excited about that? Yeah? All right, because this is another verse. Um, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oh boy, this is not going to work out for us. Um, That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. All right, so let me just lay it out for you. Wives, you're supposed to submit to your husbands, all right? Husbands, you're supposed to die for your wives. Ah. I don't know where you put that level of sacrifice. I'm going to say death is a little more than... I mean, it's pretty clear that God expects more from the husbands than he does from the wives. So let me tell you a little story. You know, Sarah and I, we've been married for 10 years, all right? When we got married, we did pre-marriage prep. Pre-marriage prep is where you go in and you answer some questions before you get married and they try to figure out if you're going to have any major issues after you get married. So they put them side by side. They try to figure it out. So I answer a thousand questions. She answers a thousand questions, comes back. And they say, listen, you guys did really well. And I'm like, yeah, pass the test. It's not a test. It feels like one. And, uh, 
I thought, okay. And they said, but there's one area that you guys really, uh, you, you really differed on and, and we want to make sure that you just make, get this right, okay? And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I'm looking at my wife and I'm thinking, how did this happen? How did we miss an entire area? And so they said, Ben, you answered this question. You said that you would be happy for your wife to work outside the home. I said, yeah. And I'm looking at my wife and I'm stunned and I'm looking at me and she's looking at me saying, really? And I'm like, yeah, because you studied for four years to get your degree. You're a teacher. And I just kind of figured that after we got married, because you're passionate about teaching, that you'd want to continue to be a teacher. I mean, even after we have children, I figured that that's something that you probably want to do. And I'm happy and I'm very supportive of you going and working outside the home. And so you know, my pastors at the time, they look at me and they're like, yeah, we can understand that. And we all look at my wife, Sarah, and she goes, really? Is that what that meant? And I, we're like, yeah. She says, I thought it meant I had to work out in the garden. <laughs> and I don't want to do that. I'm not mowing the lawns. I don't want to get in the garden. I'll do the inside stuff. You do the outside stuff. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? So, so we realize this kind of, we're on different levels here. But you know this, I, people have this idea all the time. This is how a marriage is going to be functional. We're going to go into this thing and you just do the outside jobs and I'll do the inside jobs. And provided you do your job and I do my job, this thing will work out just fine. And that sounds like wisdom, but it's not. It sounds kind of, is that from the Bible? No, it's not. In fact, that is not a biblical way to approach a marriage at all. Can we do this tonight? Can we start with getting the right expectations of what a marriage should look like? Can we do that? All right, I've got to feel some supports from Vin, so I'm just going to preach to you right now, man. Um, marriage is about the S word. It's about sacrifice. Which S word were you thinking about? <laughs> Some of you are unholy. Some of you, some of you, we're going to pray for you right after tonight, all right? <laughs> marriage is about the, I just said the S word in church, by the way, sacrifice. So, so marriage is about sacrifice. And can I say this? It's about mutual sacrifice. Should my expectation should be, oh, but my wife, Sarah, you're supposed to do things to make me happy. You're supposed to fulfill the empty parts of my life, and you're supposed to make me happy. Come on, is that biblical? No way. Actually, it's meant to be about sacrifice. It's, about to be, it's meant to be me saying, I'm going to do whatever I can for you. And she says, I'm going to do whatever I can for you. Because people think, you know, if you do your job and my do my job, well, this is going to work really well. It's not going to work really well. In fact, it's absolutely crushing. And let me explain why. I don't know how my wife's standards are going to shift over time. I don't know what she expects from me. And imagine if my job was to fulfill 100% what she expected of me as a husband. And you can imagine husbands everywhere just freaking out, just going, well, because everyone's got a different perspective and everyone's got a different idea about what their husband should do. Should that be our job? Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Let's have a biblical idea right now. What if the husband's job says, I'm going to completely lay down my life for you. And the wife says, that's cool because I'm going to lay down my life for you. And we come at this with an expectation of ourselves instead of of our spouses now, now, 
Now we're starting to get a little more biblical. This is the idea that God has. You know, everyone reads, loves to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. You know, we love to read it at weddings, you know. We like to describe what love is. Well, newsflash, it's not self-seeking. And that's what the Scriptures say. It says it's not self-seeking. Actually, love is sacrificial. So marriage is about the S word. It's about sacrifice. Marriage is about the W word. It's about work. Marriage is about work. Well, what did you expect? Have you ever heard someone say this or been led to believe that just because it's love that it's supposed to be easy? Just because it's love? Shouldn't love just be easy? Well, okay, let's, let's try that out. You go for, find a pro athlete and say, do you have to work at what you love? And they'll turn around and they'll tell you, yes. I have to work so hard at this. Why do you work so hard at it? Because I love it. See, pro athletes get it. I think people, when it comes to marriage, they don't get that. They think that because it's love, it's meant to be easy. <laughs> my, my dad, he bought this book for me. Uh, it's a book written by Michael Jordan, pro athlete, and uh, one of the greatest basketballers of all time. Uh, he bought this for me. Uh, when I was in high school, it says, it says on the front, I can't accept not trying. I feel like my dad was trying to send me a message. It's like, come on, man, you got to try eventually, all right? And, uh, but he bought me this book, probably because I'd never read a book before. He found one that, was, that, that even I could read, you know? It's like it's got pictures in it and just a few words. And so Michael Jordan, he says this thing about work. He says, there's no shortcuts. Let me read it to you. He says, coming out of high school, and by the way, I'll remind you that Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team, but he says, coming out of high school, if I'd been any less committed or had any less desire to achieve, I would have taken the easy path and gone to another school. But I went to North Carolina because I realized that a lot of Dean Smith's players got drafted by NBA teams. Well, he plays basketball, if you don't know. Some of you might not. Gabby Goulet. Um... People, she, she don't like sport. She don't like sport. People were telling me that I should go around the difficult route, but I wasn't about to do that. I had locked in, committed to my goals. I wanted to find out. I wanted to know where I stood. I've always believed that if you put in the work, the results will come. He says, I don't do things half-heartedly because I know that if you do, you can expect half-hearted results. And that's why I approached practices the same way I approached games. You couldn't turn it on and off like a faucet. I couldn't dog it during practice and then when I needed the extra push late in the game, expect it to be there. But that's how a lot of people approach things. And that's why a lot of people fail. Well, they sound like they're committed to being the best that they can be. They say all the right things, make all the proper appearances, but when it comes right down to it, they're looking for reasons instead of answers. You see it all the time in professional sports. And I've read this story about this man who absolutely understands the value of hard work. He understands that you have to work at what you love. He understands that things don't always come easy. And if something's worth fighting for, then you should give it your best. And if you do it half-hearted, you'll get half-hearted results. I thought it was really interesting that it's written by a guy that got divorced. 
And I don't know everything that happened in his relationship, but I wondered if he approached his marriage with the same intensity that he approached basketball. I thought, I don't know. It's kind of funny how some people can be succeeding wildly in some areas of their life and failing miserably in others. And you see this all the time in marriages where someone, the one that's working, when they walk into work, they're high-fiving everyone. You know why? Because they're the star salesperson and they're just nailing it. And everyone's like, man, you're so awesome. And they feel so good about how they're doing at work, but actually their relationship at home is going nowhere. Their marriage is in tatters. They're struggling as a father, they're struggling as a, as a husband, but when they walk into work, they're unbelievably successful. They're doing well here, they're not doing well over there. Do you know what happens? People start to do this, they say, well, since I'm failing, I don't wanna be surrounded by all that failure, so I'm gonna spend more time at work, which only creates more failure in the home because they just wanna be where people appreciate them. And I thought to myself, it's crazy how people can put in the work at work and be completely absent-minded when it comes to their marriage. Why would you work so hard for good sales and not work for your marriage? Why would you make that decision? Why would you do that? To me, I think this is, this is, this is crazy. You know why? Because when people go into work and they sign the contract, you ever sign, have you ever had to sign a contract for work? They say, yeah you're signing your name, it doesn't say till death do us part. And it doesn't say for better or poorer in sickness and in health. You, know, you definitely don't say that you love them. But when people get married, they sign that contract. We don't call it a contract, we call it covenant. Covenant is an agreement made between God and man. I've got this sneaking suspicion that when we get to heaven, God's not going to come and say to you, how's your sales figures? Because you never covenanted for that. He is going to come and say, how was your marriage? How, how did you treat your spouse? That is something you covenanted for. And the last time I checked, the human fatality rate hovers around 100%. So guess what? You're gonna get that chance. If you get married, you're absolutely gonna have the opportunity to stand before God and give an account for how you treated your spouse. So why would we spend so much time putting the work into all the things that really don't matter and forgetting about the things that do matter? You know, this model of sacrifice and work is exactly what Jesus did for us. That's what we call the gospel. Let me tell you what the gospel is not. The gospel is not, hey, Jesus, I screwed up. Uh, can you forgive me? He's like, it's cool, I got this. That's not the gospel message. The gospel is more fantastic than that. The gospel message is, Jesus, here's the record of how I just keep screwing up, how I keep messing up. And Jesus looks at it, he says, yeah, I've seen this before. Tell you what, I've got a record over here. This is my record. It's my perfect record. Let's do the old switcheroo. I'll take all of your sinful stuff and I'll give you my perfect record in its place. And when you get the perfect record, do you know what that means? All right, I'm gonna get a little bit gaudy on you right now. You wear the righteousness of Christ. 
which means you're in a position to come before God and walk boldly into His throne and expect to find grace and mercy in your time of need. And you don't have to worry about being full of sin and shame and guilt because guess what? You got Jesus's perfect record. And by the way, how did you think that came to you? Do you think that that came easily? Do you think that that came to you as just, just a walk in the park? No, it was work for Jesus to do it. And it was sacrifice for Him to do it. But you know what Jesus did? He understood why He was here and He was happy to do that work. In fact, what did it say? It said that Jesus said His face was set like flint towards Jerusalem. He knew where He was going. And I feel like in people's marriages, sometimes they have no idea where they're going. I reckon on Jesus' way to Jerusalem, He would have gone through some dry and arid places. But the thing that kept Him going is He said, I'm walking towards the cross. You know, in marriages, marriages go through dry and arid places, but you better know where you're going or you might give up and just quit along the way. Jesus' model was one of work and of sacrifice. And we have a culture that says, I don't want to sacrifice. If I sacrifice, I'm not free to be me. If I sacrifice, how can I find, you you, you know, I'm going to be a slave. They say that the meaning of existence, and this is so This is pop culture today. The meaning of existence is to discover who I am. The meaning of existence is to discover myself. And it's not true. You've been sold a lie. Because your reason for existence is not to discover yourself. Newsflash, it's not all about you. And I told you earlier that you were born into a culture with this has been sold to you since the day you were born. Every single person in this room was sold that because you see, it was a couple of centuries ago in the 18th and 19th century around the enlightenment period where human beings started to see things differently and, they, and, and, and the meaning for existence changed. Do you know that culturally, the meaning for existence up until that point for the whole history of time was actually found in meaningful devotion to a person or to a cause. And it's only in the last few centuries that we've taken it from what it was and we've shifted it to be about us. We are more self-ish now than we have probably ever been in history. And we carry that mentality into marriage and we wonder, Hey, how come this stuff doesn't work out anymore? I think it's because we're becoming more selfish. By the way, if you're single, do you know what this means? If you're single, this means that up until this period of time, you could have found meaningful existence in devotion to a cause or to a purpose. But now it's become something completely different. Now you've got to discover yourself and Gosh, young adults everywhere are having anxiety attacks trying to figure out who they are or what's it all about. Guess what? They weren't freaking out before. They were like, I'm devoted to this cause. I'm going after this. I'm going to figure out life along the way. Hey, guess what? Sometimes it's a journey and sometimes you're going to figure it out along the way. Don't you see how we've shifted everything and we've changed and we carry these ideas into marriage. And my whole point to you tonight is that if your expectations are wrong, you're going to miss the right thing when it comes along. So you better get the right expectations. And this series about marriage is about helping you to have the right expectations so that not only could you have a fuller marriage, but that you could also have a fuller life. You understand? All right, come on, why don't we stand to our feet? 
trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.